Matthew chapter 26, verse 36. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It could be behind me. Then Jesus came with them, Matthew 26, 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go pray over there. And he took with them Peter, James, excuse me, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee begin to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed again. Oh, my father, is it possible? Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. Came to his disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, what, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot be passed from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came and found them again, and their eyes were very heavy. And so he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time the same words. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed in the hands of, his, in the hands of sinners." Rise, let us go, let's get going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Uh, I'm going to talk about being prepared. Going into the new year, and uh, this morning we talked about uh, getting to the other side, and tonight we're going to talk about being prepared. And so these sermons today are preparatory for where I want to go this year in 2019. We're going to have a Vision Sunday where I'm going to lay out a few things that we're going to do this year. And uh, I didn't have a Vision Sunday last year, I don't think. I don't think I had one. And that was on purpose because I just devoted myself to praying and, and uh, focused on 2019. Uh, we did some things last year, but I really have a strategic plan for 2019 that I want to really lay out to you here at the end of the month. All right, so these are kind of preparatory sermons to help us to get there. Um, Jesus is a prime example of somebody going through stages of preparation. And uh, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more that I discover that all of us are in different seasons of our life. One of you may be in a season of victory. One of you may be in a season of discouragement. One of you may be in a season of learning and growing. Somebody may be in a season of promotion. Somebody may be in a season where you're going through a valley or through a difficult time. All of us are in different seasons of our life. And uh, there are certain seasons in our life where God is preparing us to do something. And there are seasons of transitions. And I don't, I'm not sure how long seasons happen. Sometimes seasons are a few days. Sometimes they're a few years. Sometimes they're a few months. God really is the determinant of the season. He, he determines how long the seasons are in your life. Uh, you know the book, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tells the same stories. If you look at the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they basically tell the same story from a different perspective. When you look at Jesus' life, for instance, and it'll be behind me, Luke chapter number 1, verse 26, Luke 1, 26. Um, let's just look at Jesus' life just for a moment. And I, I want to be brief, but if you're taking notes, I think this is noteworthy to take. Uh, use your phone or something. I think you can always go back to this and refer this to your life. The very first thing that you see about Jesus' life is um, you see that Jesus is called. Everyone say called. Verse number 26, uh, the sixth month an angel Gabriel came, was sent by God, went to a city of Nazareth and spoke to a virgin by the name of Mary. And what did the angel say to Mary? Hell, Holy One. Is that what the angel said to the virgin? Hell, Holy One. You've received favor from God and you're going to conceive, bear a son. You're going to name him Jesus. He's going to save his people from their sins. The very first thing that you see in Jesus' life, you see that he's called. Everyone say called. How many would agree that Jesus is called? An angel was sent by God. Everybody say called. Everybody say called. And in your life, in your life, you're going to have to distinguish what you're called to. Now, I'm called, I've known this since I was a little boy. I'm going to talk about my life since I can't talk about your life. Um, I, I've known since I was a little boy. I remember I was, um, I think I was around six years old, probably. I remember taking cardboard boxes 
And I remember taking a butter knife and cutting the back of the, the box off, Pastor David. And I would use my G.I. Joe men. I love G.I. Joe men. And then I had Californian raisins. You remember that? You remember that song? You all remember? Is that what they're called? California raisins. Well, anyway, I had a bunch of California raisins. I had G.I. Joe men. And then I had He-Man. You remember He-Man? And it, who, who says She-Ra? Was it She-Ra? Y'all, y'all understand what I'm saying here? That was an old cartoon. And the cartoon Thundercats. You remember that? I'm going way back, right? So guess what? The G.I. Joe men, <laughs> the California raisins, and he men all went to my church. And I would fill my little box up with G.I. Joe men, California raisins, and, and they were all in there. And guess what would happen? I'd put them all in that box, and I, I cut out, little, uh, I cut out li- little windows and put scotch tape for uh, stained glass windows. And I had a little book marker that was a cross, and I put it up on the stage. And so I had it decorated as a church. So they were all in there, and it was really packed. So I remember going to the closet, getting another box, and taking a butter knife and cutting the back of the box off, Brother Doug. And I taped it to the other box, and the church grew. So they had a building program. And so we put the boxes together, and I got more of my G.I. Joe men the closet, and I stuffed it more. And guess what? I would spend hours and hours connecting boxes, making a big church with all these G.I. Joe men and all my California raisins and my He-Man and my She-Ra and, um, and Thundercats and, and all, oh, yes, and I, Scooby-Doo. I love Scooby-Doo growing up. And so I had some of the little, I had some of the little uh, action figures and I always asked for, you know, Scooby-Doo had one of those vans. What was it called? The Mystery Machine. I always wanted one, never got it, but I'm not hurt over it. But I'm just saying, I really, <laughs> I really wanted it. And so what I would do, Pastor Phil, I would have all my, <laughs> I would have all my little cars. I had a bunch of cars. They'd all park in front of the boxes. And I remember my mom getting ready for work, and she's like, son, you're going to have to clean up all this mess because you have all these cars in G.I. Joe, and I'd spend hours and hours and hours playing church with it. Then when I got older, around eight or nine years old, my mom and dad bought me a microphone, and I would use the microphone and it had lights on it, so I'd press the lights and I'd preach to my cousin. And she'd come to church, and my same message was, I always preached hell and damnation. And one time I was preaching hell and damnation, she actually cried. I mean, and I thought it was wonderful because I thought, boy, we're having an altar service. And so then I'd tell my cousin, and she'd fall on the floor, and then I'd put a blanket over, and then I'd stand at the door and shake hands, and then we'd go to the fellowship hall, and I fed him cheese because that's all I could find in the refrigerator. And so I'd play hours and hours church. What's my point? I was called to preach. I was called to pastor. I was fascinated with it. I just thought it, very fascinating. Well, as I got older, I realized that church growth is not just about putting G.I. Joe men in a church building. I wish it was that simple. I wish it was that easy to get everybody in the same box, but it's not. But I discovered at an early age that I wanted to preach. And I remember one time somebody said to me, God can never use you. He was a, he was a bishop and I was 13 years old. He said, God will never use you because you've never went out and sowed your wild oats. And so you don't have a testimony. For years, I wrestled with that because I thought I had to go around whoremong around, sleep with all the girls, smoke this, tattoo this, smoke this, snort this, do this, so I have a testimony. Until one day, my pastor said to me, I don't know why you struggle over that because the same power that can deliver them from that lifestyle is the same power that can keep you from living that lifestyle. Am I right about it? Now, if, if you fall in that category, praise God that there's power to deliver you. And I, I feel like we need to stress that. There's power to deliver people from that, but there's also power to keep you from it. Can I hear an amen? So, so what I want you to see is that you've got to find your call. And it doesn't necessarily have to be ministry. I know some people at an early age love to cook. I mean, they just 
thought it was awesome. And they would buy every utensil because they just felt drawn to that. You need to find what your passion is, what your heart is, and then you need to focus on that and perfect it. You don't need to be like me. You're not called to be like me. I'm not called to be like you. You just need to find what you're called to do. What is the call of God on you? What would you do if you, if you didn't get paid to do it? Like if I could live, I could do this without pay because I love it. If, if I could just, you know, if it was in a perfect world and I didn't need a paycheck, I could just give it all up and just do it for free. I wish I could do that. Maybe that will happen one day. But I, could, I know that's my passion. I, I don't think about a paycheck. I just, this is my passion and this is my call. This is my drive. This is what I think about. Drink, sleep, eat. This is my life. So number one, you've got to find your call. Jesus had a call on his life and that was to save the world from their sins. That was very, very good. Very good. He had a call. Number two, the Bible says in Luke chapter 3, verse 21, Luke 3.21, there was confirmation of the call. Luke 3.21, and when the people were baptized, it came, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And when he prayed, heaven was open, and the Spirit descended on a, like a, in a bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Luke chapter 1, Jesus was called... Luke chapter 3, there's confirmation. Who confirmed it? The Father. The Father spoke from heaven and confirmed to John the Baptist that he was called. And if you are truly called to do something, somebody in your life will confirm that. Because your call is not birthed in isolation. That is why Paul said, if you're going to be an elder, you need the, the presbytery to lay hands upon you and confirm that you're called. You just don't call yourself. There has to be a confirmation that you're called. And so Jesus had this confirmation from God to John the Baptist that he was called. So number one, everybody say the call. Number two, some, somebody say it needs to be confirmed. It needs to be confirmed. And what do I mean by confirmed? Well, it's confirmed by the witness of the Spirit, and it's confirmed by the witness of people. Say that with me. It's confirmed by the witness of Spirit. You know it in here. And it's confirmed by the witness of people. The witness of people and the witness of the Spirit. That's how you know you're called. The witness of the Spirit and the witness of people. Number one, there's the call. Number two, there's the confirmation. Number three, there is the preparation. Luke chapter 4, Luke 4 verse 1, Luke 4 verse 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted 40 days and 40 nights of the devil. So, Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted. He was being prepared in the wilderness. Everybody say prepared. We, everybody say prepared. Why was he being prepared in the wilderness? He was being prepared because Jesus was getting ready to go to a mission to fulfill his destiny and even the Son of God had to be prepared. You know, I've been in ministry since I was 19 years old and what's a tragedy is people who think they're called and yet they receive a confirmation, and yet they don't prepare themselves. They think just because they're called, they're qualified to teach and preach. That's not true. You have to go through a time of preparation, a time of preparing. If medical doctors have to go through an internship to be mentored by another medical doctor because they think it's very important that you're trained correctly, you don't want them to be cutting on you if they don't have a strong mentor, if they have not completed the internship, then why does it make sense that we just let people preach and teach that's never submitted themselves to mentorship? That, that, that they don't submit themselves to somebody else that they can learn from. So Jesus submitted himself to the Spirit. He also, the Bible says, grew in statue and wisdom. He also submitted himself to the religious leaders. He submitted himself to his parents. You know that in Scripture. Jesus was very submitted. He was prepared himself for ministry. Do you know that Jesus never started his ministry until he was 30 years old? He, he could have started when he was 19. That Jesus understood that's irrelevant. If I prepare right, I could do more in three years than I could do in 20 years. And that's the point. If you prepare right, you can do more in a smaller amount of time than you could do with 50 years of ministry. It's not about being faithful. It's about being fruitful. We, you know, we, we, we're always like to throw that word, I'm, I'm faithful, I'm faithful. You could be faithful for 50 years and never do anything. 
It's about being faithful and fruitful. You need both. I'm faithful, but I'm fruitful. I'm producing something. Jesus said, if you're not producing anything, Jesus said, in the last day, I'm going to cut the tree down, throw it in the fire. So you've got to produce something. It's about faithful and it's about fruitfulness. Are you producing anything in your life? So number one, there's the call. Number two, there is the confirmation. Number three, there's the preparation. Jesus went through the wilderness, prepared himself. Number four, there is the empowerment. Jesus was empowered. Luke chapter 4, verse 14, look at it. Luke 4, verse 14. Right after Jesus was tempted of the devil, well, right after he was prepared, verse number 14, Luke 4, 14 says, And Jesus returned, Luke 4 and verse 14, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and the news of him went throughout the surrounding region. So what happened? Look, look he was called, it was confirmed, he prepared himself, and now he is empowered. Empowered to do three years of ministry. Three years, that's all it took. Three years of ministry. He was empowered, and the news of him began to, uh, began to spread. Now, guess, guess what, church? When you truly prepared, when you are prepared, and God sees that you are ready, the noise of your ministry will surround the area. You don't have to open the doors to yourself. If you're trying to open a door and getting frustrated because the door ain't open to you and nobody's recognizing your gift and nobody's recognizing your calling, maybe, maybe, not always, but maybe, it could be God is saying, listen, let me promote you, let me open the door, and when you have prepared and I see that you're ready, I will empower you and then your, the noise of your ministry will spread abroad. Can I say amen? You see, don't make your own noise. Don't make your own noise. Let God make your noise. All right? So call, confirmation. Everybody say call. Everybody say confirm. Everybody say prepare. Everybody say empowerment. And one of the last stages is rejection. Now, we don't like to hear this, but how many would say it's a part of the process? Luke chapter 4 and verse number 28. After Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and after he's empowered, guess what happens to him? Luke chapter 4, verse number 28, the Bible says, And so all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, was filled with wrath. Luke chapter 4, verse 4, 28. Luke 4, 28. They'll put it behind me. You see that? They, they, they begin to get frustrated with him. Luke 4 and verse number uh, 28. I want you to see it here. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with what? In verse 29, guess what happened? They rose up, and what did they begin to do? They wanted to thrust him out of the city. Now hold on, folks. Is Jesus called? Has it been confirmed by the Spirit? Has it been confirmed by people? Is he prepared? Is he empowered? Why is he being rejected? Because when you are really walking in your call, when you are really prepared and empowered, you will face rejection. But rejection is for your direction. It's not for your destruction. And we allow rejection to destroy us when God is saying, listen, I let it happen to my son, and if my son experienced it, you're going to experience it too. So rejection is actually for your direction. Direction. Don't let it destroy you. Let it direct you. After now listen, if you pass the rejection test, if now how do I know I've passed the rejection test? Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, when they slap you on the cheek, you turn to the... When they ask you to go the one mile, you go. When your enemies curse you and persecute you, you're to love your enemies. So how do I know I'm passing the rejection test? when you do the opposite of what they did to you. They rejected you, what's the opposite? You love them back. They talk about you, you don't talk about them, you do the opposite, you bless them. How do I know I've passed the rejection test when you're able to do the opposite of what was done to you, you know you've passed the rejection test. And it really disturbs me that so-called Christians want to cuss people out on Facebook, when they roll their eyes at people, they want, they want to act like children. You're acting just like the world. 
you're not passing the rejection test. You've got to do the opposite of what they're doing to you. How do I know? Jesus said, if you love people that love you, then you're no better than the pagans. Is that what Jesus said? So somebody may get on your nerves and you may not like them. If you are treating them the same way they're treating you, you have failed the test. You have failed. According to Jesus, according to Christianity, according to what we read in this book, you're not to act like your enemies. You're to do the opposite. We have become like Peter. We want to take the sword out and cut the servant's ear off because they've spoken against the master. Jesus said, put your sword away. We don't, we don't fight like that. And he healed the servant's ear. We don't, we don't think that way. We've got to change our thinking about rejection here. I've known pastors that's been rejected I've known pastors has been talked about, thrown out of their churches over silly stuff. And I think to myself, I mean, silly stuff. People getting mad at the carpet. People, I mean, just silly, stupid stuff. Getting mad, rejecting, voting them out, getting, getting hurt. And those pastors would turn the other cheek, love them, not even say a word. I've even asked pastors, tell me the story. They're like, no, I'm not going to say I love them, I bless them, and I'm going to go on. That's how you know you pass the rejection test. That's how you know you've really passed the rejection. Not getting on the phone and giving a whole list of how everybody hurt you. That's, that's not how you pass it. It's not, not according to what Jesus says. Jesus says you've got to turn the other cheek. You've got to act different than what they've treated you. Is that right? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 20, Matthew 5 and verse 20, Jesus says, he says, for I say to you, Matthew 5, 24, I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Pharisees and religious leaders, they have the tendency to look like they're doing right, but inwardly they wasn't doing right. They still had bitterness and strife inside. Jesus said, you've got to act better than the religious people. They, they give the impression that they're doing right. They give the impression they love you. They give the impression they forgive you. They give the impression that everything's okay. I'm not hurt. You didn't do anything to me. But Jesus says, you know, Jesus said they're whitewashed sepulchers because inside they're eating up with bitterness. Jesus said, you've got to succeed the religious leaders. You've got to do better than they do. Or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So are you going to pass the rejection test? When people reject you, it's very hurtful. It hurts. But you've got to pass the test. You've got to pass the test. After rejection, you, got to, you will be exalted. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. Luke 24, verse 50. After the rejection, then there is exaltation in your life. Exaltation. Who exalts you? Jesus exalts you. Nobody can exalt you. He may use people to promote you, but it is God who always exalts people. Luke chapter 24, verse 50. Luke 24 and verse number 50. And the Bible says, Luke 24, verse 50, And being led out as far as Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them, and it came to pass, while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. He was exalted. He was exalted above the rejection. He was exalted above the hurt. He was exalted above... God exalted him. So do you see what's happened here? You see the call? Jesus was called. He was confirmed that he's called. Spiritually he was confirmed by the Father. And John the Baptist said he was called. Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. So he had the witness of the Spirit and he had the witness of a man. Confirmation. Number three, there is preparation. After preparation, there is empowerment of the Spirit. After empowerment, there is rejection. But the rejection is not meant to destroy you. It's meant to direct you. How do I know I passed the rejection test? When I do opposite of what happened to me, then I've passed it. Now let me say this. Let me say it because I don't want to appear that I've conquered this. Because I have not conquered it. I have felt rejected at times and I, I have not acted right. I've said things I shouldn't have said. I've been hurt before by church people. Not necessarily, you know, I'm not... Not, 
you know, don't try to figure all that out. I'm just saying, in ministry in general, we've all been hurt. And I've wanted at times, and I have said things I shouldn't have said, and I've been angry and hurt before, and I have not passed the test all the time. So I'm imperfect and, and flawed here. But I'm telling you, when you read the Scriptures and you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, you quickly understand that you can't handle problems the same way that it was dealt with you. you. You can't do that. You've got to turn the other cheek. How many would agree with me? So rejection, and then there is exaltation. He will exalt you in the end. Now, I want to say this. What does this have to do with the Scripture I just read to you? Well, there are some three things that will help you to get prepared. Because I believe as a church, God is preparing us. Now, I've said that before, but I truly believe that. And I want to say this and say it very loud and clear. I really believe with all my heart, and I want you to listen to me. We're talking as family tonight. I believe with all my heart, we've been in this building for uh, over four years now. This is actually going on our fifth year. Uh, We've been here, and I remember... Four years ago, four or five years ago, the Holy Spirit specifically spoke and said to move here. So I've never doubted it. When I got here, the Holy Spirit said that we are not where we need to be at our leadership level to go where we need to go. So I knew that. But I knew that the Holy Spirit sent us here to prepare us for the future. So we may not have everything in order and all the ducks in order. I perfectly see that in prayer I see things. Sometimes I, as a pastor, I get frustrated. I, I see that. There are some things I like to change overnight, some things I got to wait. I see all that. I listen to people. I understand that. But I also understand that I got to be sensitive to the Spirit and I got to be sensitive to people at the same time. And that's a tough job. And I understand that in order for us to go to the, where God wants us to go, that there is some preparatory things that we got to do to get there. I, I see that. And one of the things that the Holy Spirit did in my life probably two years ago, is I, uh, I, I had a, a, you know, a year ago, I just really started devoting myself to prayer more and communing with the Lord because I felt like I was frustrated a lot. And the Lord realigned my life where my first priority is to spend time with Christ because when I spend time with Christ, everything else works out. Would you agree with me? So that becomes number one in my life. And so the Lord really did something in my life, Pastor David. He delivered me of the ambition to have a big church. Now let me clarify that. Do I want the church to grow? Yes. Do I want this church to be filled? Yes, I do. promise you. I have a great desire to see that happen. But He changed the ambition from just a crowd mindset to a mindset that I want people to come, but I want to develop people into Christians who follow Jesus instead of people who are sitting in church seats. Do you see the difference? That's a big difference. Because you can get a crowd. I can get a crowd if I change my theology. and I mean, You can get a crowd, but what kind of crowd are we developing? What kind of crowd... What kind of crowd are we developing? And so my mindset has now changed to, yes, I want the church to grow. Yes, I want seats to be filled. Yes, that's my desire. But now I want to grow people to look more like Jesus. And I believe if we do it the right way, then the seats will all be filled. You see that there's a mindset. And I believe that happened through a preparatory time in prayer where God was preparing my heart. And I've discovered that if you are truly going to be prepared, as a church, and as personally, I believe that there are some things that we got to look at. And, and I believe this is going to be a great year for this church because some of the things I believe the Holy Spirit wants us to do, and I'm excited to share that with you, um, how to get people more connected. Sometimes I think people come and they fall through the cracks, and I think that uh, we can do a better job at connecting people and so, stuff like that that I believe the Holy Spirit is working in my heart to share with you that I know that you'll be receptive with. But as we prepare ourselves for this year, I believe that there are three things that will help us to get there. Because I believe that we're in that stage. I believe we've heard the call of God to be here. We've had confirmation to be here. And now we are preparing for the future. And you say, well, Pastor, what, what have we done for the last several years? Well, I think we've prepared, but I think that my heart's changed to do it the right way to grow people.
just not to fill seats up. Would you agree with that? Does, does that make sense? To grow people to be more like Jesus. And so, and when that happens, I believe that every seat will be filled. So, what is the preparation? What is the preparation? Uh, what are some things that we need to do? Number one, as a church and as personally, to help us prepare to be better, number one, we got to move past the pain. Or we got to move past personal pain. Number one, you got to move past personal pain. Personal pain. Now, I know that that is simplistic and maybe it doesn't mean a lot to you, but remember the scripture that I just read to you in Matthew 26. You know, Jesus is in the garden and Jesus is praying. And what does Jesus say? Jesus said something that we've overlooked before, but I think it holds uh, some kind of credence with us. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, 26, 38, Jesus is in the garden and Jesus says, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Jesus was being prepared for the cross. But before Jesus got to the cross, he had to deal with personal pain. And Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Do you know what he was saying? My soul is hurting. My soul is in pain. I'm grieving. I am hurting. I am worried. I'm stressed. Now don't forget Jesus is 100% man here. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Exceedingly sorrowful. Jesus was being prepared for Calvary, but Jesus had to move past personal pain. What was the pain? The pain of rejection, the pain of going to the cross, the torture, the the, his disciples forsook him. He had to move past all that pain. He is saying to God, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful and it is aching on the inside. And if we're going to be prepared for the future, we've got to let things go. Personally, you've got to let things go. Listen, if you've been molested as a child, that's painful. But there comes a time in your life that you have to let the Holy Spirit bring healing to you and you've got to move on at some point. It's hurtful. It is very sensitive. You know, and I don't understand that because that's never happened to me before. But I deal with a lot of people in pastoral ministry that's happened before. And we have to find some sort of coping mechanism, counseling to deal with our issues. Because you'll never go to your destiny if we don't learn how to deal with our issues. You've got to deal with what's dealing with you. You've got to conquer what's conquering you. You've got to triumph of what's triumphant. You cannot continue to sweep things under the carpet and, and go by for years not dealing with things. You can't do that. Because you'll come to the end of your life more frustrated and more hurt and then wonder why you've never fulfilled your potential and it's because you've never dealt with the issues of your heart. There comes a time where the Holy Spirit says, I want to, I want to go into those secret places of your life but you're going to have to let me have the key and let me in that closet. Let me deal with the pain that they've caused you. You can't hide it any longer. Now, I know it's sensitive. It hurts. Of course it hurts. We don't want to deal with our issues, but we've got to move past personal pain. Jesus is dealing with this pain here. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I'm hurting at this moment. Listen, divorce is hurtful. Losing loved ones to cancer is hurtful. Being rejected by it's hurtful. Family members committing suicide. I mean, that hurtful. Pain hurts. It's very deep. And that is why the church is, is, is not, it's not a carnival cruise for the healthy. The church is, is built as a hospital for those who are sick. And sometimes we put our mask on and say, everything's okay. I'm blessed and highly favored. God is good all the time and all the time God's good. I'm blessed. I'm the head, not the tail, above, but not beneath. I'm coming out. And we have the church lingo. But there comes a time that the Holy Spirit is saying, that's all good and fine, but I've got to deal with what, what is hurting you. I've got to deal with the pain of your heart. I've got to deal with what you're dealing with. Because if you don't let me to deal with it, then I can't take you to where I want to take you. I've got to deal with it. Listen, 
And I'm being transparent. Several years ago, I, I struggled with unforgiveness towards some of my family members. I had to, I had to go talk it out because I was dealing with some issues as a child, unforgiveness, and it was really, I think, destroying my life. And I just get, and I had to get real with myself and know that I was hurt and I need to talk about this. And I would have never three years ago told you this ever because I always wanted to appear like I'm strong and healthy. I don't have no problems. And even in my sermons, I never talked about myself. But the Holy Spirit did something in my life where I could be transparent with you and allow you to know my heart that sometimes if you're really serious about growing in God, sometimes He will say, I want in that closet that you've locked up for years, I want in there and I want to deal with that pain. I want to deal with it. You've got to deal with your personal pain. You've got to deal with it. You say, well, pastor, I'm just not ready to deal with it. If you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. It will deal with you. It will deal with you. You'll come, you'll start to have to, there's people that rely upon alcohol, pills, sex, porn, just to deal with the internal of their issues because they've never come to the conclusion that I've got to deal with it. You think people like to take drugs just to take drugs? Absolutely not. It's a coping mechanism. You think people just like to drink just to drink and become alcoholics? No. It's a coping mechanism. Because they have not yet coped with what is coping them and dealing with them. You've got to move past personal pain. Do you all still love me? Is this all right? So, you've got to deal with what deals with number two. Number two... You've got to get over the faults of family and friends. Get over the faults of family and friends. Get over the faults of family and friends. You know, Jesus, this is interesting. Jesus said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Now get this. The Bible says in verse 37, Matthew 26, 37, he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, became sorrowful, deeply distressed. He said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. Stay here and watch with me. Verse 39, He went a little further, fell on his face and prayed. Verse 40, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said, What? Could you not watch with me and pray? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. For the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Listen to Pastor Josh. I'm almost done. you got to move past personal pain. Now that's a process. Let me make sure you understand that that doesn't happen overnight. I can't just lay hands on you and heal you of all the issues of your life. I can't do that. Sometimes you've got to go through a process. Sometimes you've got to go through a process of talking about it and praying about it. Maybe you need to see a counselor. Whatever, whatever your process is, it, sometimes it just happens through a process. and that, That's understandable. But you've got to deal with it. Number two, you've got to forgive the faults of family and friends. You've got to forgive your family. You've got to forgive the friends that hurt you and the family members that hurt you. One of the hardest things in church is dealing with our own family because there's issues there. I mean, some people don't even like to eat together now because of divisions in family. And sometimes it's very painful. And no matter how they treat you, you've got to watch your heart towards them. You've got to watch your heart towards them. You've got to forgive the faults of family and friends. How do I know that? Jesus had three of his best friends, Peter, James, and John. Listen, they were best friends. It's not like they just ate once in a while together. They are best friends. They are blood brothers here. It's a platonic relationship. It's a Jonathan and David. They are intimate. They're in this thing together. This is not just blow Joe up the street here. These are people that ate with him and walked with him, were with him every day. These were soul brothers. And they kept sleeping. And Jesus is saying, can you not watch and pray with me? Because Jesus said, my heart is exceedingly sorrowful. Don't you understand? I am hurting here. And they sleep away. How do you feel when your best friends don't listen to anything you're saying when you're saying, I am hurting? I am hurting here. When you tell the closest people in your life and they shrug you off. It's exactly what's happening. But Jesus had to understand, you've got to forgive the faults of family. You've got to forgive them. 
And that's why Jesus went a little further and prayed. He prayed by himself. He couldn't get his best friends to pray with him. He couldn't get the the people that was closest to him. They couldn't stay in the battle. Now, get this. Don't lose me. Could it be that the disciples wanted to, but didn't know how to? Are y'all, are y'all with me on this Sunday night? Could it be that the disciples wanted to pray, but didn't know how to pray? Would you agree with that? And could it be that some of your family members really do want to love you? Could it be that they really do want to have a part in your life? But maybe they just don't know how to. Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So what's the point, Pastor? The point is this. Listen to Pastor Josh. If they are flesh, they will disappoint you. Jesus said, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus said, listen, Jesus said, I can forgive you, Peter. I can forgive you, John and James. I can forgive you. You know why I can forgive you? Because I understand you want to pray. You have a desire to do it. Your spirit wants to do it. But I understand you're fleshly. That's why I can forgive you. And ladies and gentlemen, we've got to forgive people. You know why we can forgive people? Because people are flesh. And flesh hurts. Fleshly people make bad decisions. Fleshly people say things they don't want to say. Fleshly people make mistakes. We're all flesh. We're all dirt. Jesus said, I understand your flesh. That's why I can forgive you. And that's why you can forgive. You can forgive the the meanest person. Because you can understand that I'm flesh and you're flesh. I've made mistakes, you've made mistakes. What you did was wrong, but I've done some wrong things too. Your flesh. You have the sin nature. He forgave the faults of family and friends. How could he do it? He did it because he understood that they were fleshly. And when you look at people that hurt you and rejected you, just remind yourself, they're flesh. They they may have wanted Maybe to do right. They don't know how. Because they're fleshly. The Spirit's willing, but they're fleshly. I've stood at bedsides of many people on their deathbed. Tears in their eyes. They never ask for another car or work another job. They just said, I wish I could go back and do it over again. I didn't know how to, Pastor Josh. I didn't know how to. I wanted to. I wanted to tell him. just didn't know how to. And I could look at him and say, it's okay. We've all messed up. We're all flesh. We're all flesh. Give people grace. Give them grace. Turn the other cheek. Be mindful that we're dirt fleshly. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes. That's how you know God's preparing you. That's how you know God's preparing you. I remember my first church, Sean was there. I took a church. What time is it, Brandon? I'm going to close with the story. Uh, I took my first church at 22 years old. The former pastor was 86 years old. I came to a church. It was church split. The Family left the church, was mad at that group. I came to pastor the group that was left. I had about 15 people. You know, the building was old, falling apart. You know, it was cold. It was tense. The church moved across the street or across town. They're meeting in a building, having church, while I am 22 years old trying to pastor a small group of people that's hurt and offended by the group that left. The 86-year-old pastor is still living across town. Blah, blah, you get the story. So 
they were having more people than I had. And you know, my side was saying we're right. They're saying we're wrong back and forth. Very stressful. And I prayed hours at the altar over it. And I told the Lord, Lord, I'm, I don't know why I'm praying over it. I, I wasn't here when it happened. I wasn't here. I don't even know these people. <gasps> here I'm stuck in the middle of it. Did you know what the Holy Spirit said to me, Pastor David? He said, I want you to call a, a healing service. I don't know what I called it. Do you remember what I called it? A reconciliation service at a neutral place. I want you to bring that church and your church together in the same building. I was like, oh, God. So I brought them all together. My church sat on the left. Their church sat on the right. And they didn't go across the aisles to shake hands. You know what I'm saying? So we had two, and I got up, and I presented um, flowers to, the, to the, uh, the daughter of the pastor. I presented a plaque that he pastored the church for 46 years. I think I gave a love offering to them, and I got up and apologized to that church. If we've done anything wrong to hinder them or hurt them, we apologize. Why did I do that? Because I wanted to be an example. I wanted to be a pastor to my people to tell them it's not about being right. It's about righteousness. It's not about defending I'm right. I'm right. I'm right. You lose your rights when you become a Christian. It's about righteousness. It's not about defending I'm right. I'm not going to talk to you. It's about being a slave to righteousness and not a slave to who's right. And you know, God released me, Sister Pat. I was released from it. And I got up and preached with, is that right? I was released from it. Freed from it. And we went on to grow and prosper. I was there eight years and didn't even want to leave when it was time for me to leave because I pushed through all of it. What was God doing? He was preparing me for the future, but I had to deal with something that wasn't even my fault. You've got to get over the faults of family and friends. Number three, you've got to surrender to the sovereign will of God. Jesus said, Jesus said, number three, you've got to surrender to the sovereign will of God. Jesus said, if it's possible, let this cup Pass from me if it's possible. You know what Jesus was saying? I really don't want to die. If it's possible. If it's possible, Lord, if there's another way, please spare me from the crucifixion. And there's sometimes in your life that you can't pray against the will of God. There are some things in your life that's just the will of God. It's just going to happen. And you've got to come to a place like Jesus saying, nevertheless, I surrender to your will. Your will is for me to die on the cross and I surrender to that. If it's possible, you can make another way, do it. But if not, I surrender to your will. And sometimes we've got to deal with this wrestling of God's will that even when it's hard, even when it's hard, we got to surrender to the will of God. Even when it's difficult, we've got to surrender to the will of God. Why is it hard, church? It's hard because we are fleshly. Flesh doesn't want to surrender to the sovereign will of God. Nevertheless, Jesus said, nevertheless, He said, He said, uh, nevertheless, verse 39, Matthew 26, 39, if it's possible, let this cup happen. But nevertheless, not as I will, but your will be done. And guess what, church? This is so amazing. After Jesus moved past personal pain, after Jesus forgave the faults of family and friends, after Jesus submitted to the will of God, guess what happened? It's right there in the story. Matthew 26, guess what happens? 26.46, this is what happened. 26.46, after this happened, he said, rise, let us be going. We can go now. Jesus is saying, I've dealt with my pain. 
I've dealt with the faults of these people. I've dealt with the will of God. I'm okay now. Get up out of your sleep. Go with me. I'm willing to go see my betrayer. I'm willing to be crucified. I've dealt with it. I've dealt with it at the garden. I could be exalted on the cross now. And the reason that we don't make it, the reason that people fail in exaltation, you see churches grown really fast, and then all of a sudden the pastor falls into sin. Churches grow really fast and it crumbles. You know what happened? They wasn't in preparation long enough. They was exalted too quickly. They wasn't ready to be exalted that quickly. And the devil knew it, so therefore they fell. That's why it's important that we are prepared adequately so that you could be strong enough to handle the promotion when it comes. Does that make sense? He says, arise. Let us go. I've dealt with it. I could face the rejection now. It doesn't matter what Judas says to me. Let him kiss me. It doesn't matter what Peter does. Let them all leave at the cross. That's why Jesus could hang on the cross and not one of his disciples, the only one that was there was John. Where was the other eleven? Did it matter to Jesus? Absolutely not. You know why? Because he moved past personal pain. He forgave him already. He submitted to the sovereign will of God. He already dealt with it. And that's why he could experience it. Because he dealt with it. Rise. Let's go. I'm ready now. And you will be ready when you deal with these three things in your life. Now this was a hard message tonight. And it's not something I want to preach on all the time. But I wanted to preach this to you because of two reasons. Number one. I'm preaching this to you tonight because I have dealt with all of this myself. All of this I preach to you, I'm preaching out of transparency. I'm preaching from my heart because I have dealt with all of this myself and I'm still dealing with some of it, even today. So I'm preaching out of a heart of transparency because I'm dealing with it. Number two, the reason I'm preaching this is because if I'm dealing with it and have dealt with it, I know that you may be dealing with it. And... Also, if we're going to go forward as a church, and I believe it's important that we always do self-examination of things in our life so we can be better prepared to go where God wants us to go. Amen.